Good to see you back after Thanksgiving. Just because Thanksgiving is over doesn't mean we're done with Thanksgiving. So turn to your neighbor on each side and say, I'm still thankful for you. Go ahead. Spread some Thanksgiving in the room. That's good. Next Sunday, you get to wish somebody a Merry Christmas. So we'll, uh, we'll get ready for that. Hard to believe that December is among us. Now, at the end of the service today, there will be an altar call, and I expect the altar to be full. If you went Black Friday shopping, anybody in the room, Black Friday shoppers? Yeah, you need to come confess what you did, all right, and the attitudes you had. And if you're an OU or OSU fan, we need to be the first ones down here at the altar to confess our attitudes from yesterday, I would say. Uh, and then if there's another thing that God does in your life, that will be open for you as well. Next weekend, we will be uh, bringing Josh McClellan in front of the church on a Saturday. You can read about it in a bulletin. He's been our interim for a long time. You probably thought he was already on staff, but he's been an interim. We are asking him to come in view of a call to be our next generation pastor and connection pastor. You say, what's a next gen pastor? That's the one who helps shepherd over our preschool children and student ministry through college. Josh will be responsible for working with those staff members uh, to take care of the next generation as well as helping us connect our church to the community and the community to our church. So you can read more about that. Yeah, we'll meet with him on Saturday for a Q&A time and then next Sunday he will be preaching in view of a call. So please be praying for Josh and his family this week. We're in a sermon series called Scripture Twister. The enemy loves to take what is true and twist it so that we might be confused and miss out on the promises of God. He doesn't want you to know how to be saved, and he doesn't want you to know that you are saved, and he loves to twist that reality. Twisted scripture can lead to twisted security. Sometimes we think we know what we know, and sometimes we may not know what we think we know, and I'm going to prove that to you through a pop quiz. Don't you love pop quizzes? Here they come, all right? Take out a sheet of paper. Let's see how much you know. Let's see how good you are. And we will test you against the audience. Four questions. Here's your first question. How many senses do we have? How many senses do we have? Question number one. Don't look on your neighbor's paper. You can't get help. You've got to try to guess at it. How many senses do we have? Number two. What color agitates bulls? What color agitates bulls? Write the color down. Third question, another color question. What color is the sun? What color is the sun? Write down your answer. What color is the sun? Quit sharing answers. I see some of you going to your neighbor. It's your own quiz. Here we go. Last question. This, this uh, may seem easy. Who created Mickey Mouse? Who created Mickey Mouse? You say, wow, those are some deep questions, Pastor. Exactly why I wanted to get out of bed and show up for church. Let me prove to you what we got going on. All right, so everybody should have four answers. Let's see how well you did on the quiz. I'll let you grade your own paper. How many senses do we have? How many of you said five? All right, good. How many of you color that agitates a bull? Said red. Good. How many of you said the color of the sun is yellow? Very good. And how many of you said who created Mickey Mouse? Walt Disney? All right, let's go back and let's grade. Um, how many senses do we have? Scientists tell us not five, but as much as 20 or more. Here are some of the new senses. A sense of balance, a sense of acceleration, a sense of pain, a sense of body position, a sense of relative temperature, a sense of hunger, a sense of itching. All these different senses, they now take us to more than what most of us believe are just simply five. 
What color agitates a bull? Well, we've grown up believing it's the color red, and uh, that certainly got me agitated yesterday, but that is not true for bulls. Bulls are actually colorblind. They use red in the ring because that draws more drama and more flair for the audience. It's just the motion that gets the bull going, not the color. And then we get to the color of the sun. Most believe it is yellow. That's because you're looking through this atmosphere, but actually science would tell you that the sun is a bright, brilliant white. The sun is white. And then who created Mickey Mouse? Uh, Walt Disney gets the credit today, but actually it has been discovered that it was his very close friend that worked with him from the very beginning, a guy named Oob Iwerks is the one that developed Mickey Mouse. They became a big feud between the two because Walt Disney stole the concept and made it his. So here's the point of the quiz. We grow up and most of us had the exact same answers and they were all wrong. We believe these things to be true and yet they aren't true. When I got saved, I believed that I could lose my salvation. There are a lot of people who hold to that belief and struggle with that. Am I saved or have I lost my salvation? We wrestle with that. It is a struggle that happens in the human soul. The first struggle, how can I be saved? The second struggle after I've become saved is, am I still saved? It is a struggle. And the enemy wants you to believe the wrong information. He wants you to believe that something is true when it is not true. So what is true? First of all, don't determine what's true based on human experience. Don't draw a conclusion because you knew somebody who looked saved and now isn't saved or acting saved, so therefore they lost their salvation. You don't know the condition of that person's heart from the very beginning. We talked about that in the life of Judas. Judas looked like the purest of disciples. He was trusted with the treasury. And yet the Bible says, not that he lost his salvation, he was never saved. It says he was the son of perdition. He was never a son of the king. He was never saved. He just looked like it on the outside, but he had never been transformed on the inside. We don't draw our conclusions from experience. We don't draw it from our feelings. We can only draw eternal conclusions and true conclusions from that which is eternally true, the word of God. So the enemy will try to take the word and twist it. He'll try to get you confused with a passage here or a passage there. But when we look at all of scripture, we can clearly understand what it means to be saved and are we saved? 1 John chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, I'll put it on the screen. 1 John 5, 13 says, this is the reason God gave us his word, his revelation. He said, these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. God wants you to know without a shadow of a doubt. He wants you to have a confidence and a peace of how you're saved and that you are saved. And if that is God's will for you, you know what the enemy's will is for you? The exact opposite. He wants to steal that peace. He doesn't want you to have a confidence in who you are in Christ. He wants you to question, because if he can get you double-minded, uh, maybe today I'm saved, maybe tomorrow I'm not saved, a double-minded man, the Bible says in James, is unstable in all of his ways. And so he twists the scripture so that he could twist your security. So let's dig in. And let's see what it means to be saved and if you can lose that salvation. What does scripture say? Well, as we dig in, you can't figure out if you've lost salvation until you know how you get salvation. 
Salvation is not something that we accomplish. It's not through a prayer, although we do pray to ask Christ in our heart. It's not through joining a church. That would be the works of what we do. The Bible says it's not from our works, lest we would boast. But it's a gift that's accomplished through Christ, the work that he has done on our behalf. As we saw in Maya's baptism, uh, we pointed out the two births. I got to see her first physical birth, and I remember that day. I remember the O'Brien celebrating the birth of their firstborn, and I remember the excitement of that. But I remember, more importantly, the day of her second birth this last summer. She gave her life to Christ. She went from being a physical person to now becoming a spiritual child of God, a new birth. The Bible says that salvation is a birth issue. It is something that happens just like you have physical life. You had to have a mom and a dad who birthed you. You had nothing to do with it. It was all them. The same is true spiritually. I had nothing to do with it. Yes, I had to submit to God. Yes, I had to respond to the gift. But I am saved because of a heavenly father who birthed me out of death into life. So we find that salvation is a birth issue. I have four children natural children. Uh, how did they become my children? It wasn't because they applied for the job. Trust me, they probably would have never applied for it. It isn't because they worked their way into the family. As a matter of fact, there were times they tried to work their way out of the family, but they became my children by birth. There are others who adopt, and, and that is a special family relationship, a legal choice, a choice that was made, and in that they become a part of the family. Well, the Bible says that's how we become a part of the family of God. We are birthed into the kingdom and we are adopted into the kingdom and we become the children of God. Let me show you from scripture. Let's take a look at some things and as we realize salvation is a work of God, a birth issue. Go to Ephesians this morning. And we got a lot of verses to look at. This is part two of last week's sermon. Realizing a tough verse, can my name be erased from the book of life? No. No, when you understand what salvation is and what God does in your salvation, you can never, ever again doubt that salvation. Take a look at it. Ephesians 2, verse 1. It says that you, he's writing to believers now, he says you were, talking about their past life, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He reminds them that when we're born in this world, our first birth, we're born dead spiritually. Adam and Eve, when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God prophesied and said, when you eat from it, you will die. They ate the fruit and they didn't kill over physically dead, but they did die spiritually. They lost their holiness in sin. They died spiritually. The Bible says, because of the Adam of sin, that is spread to all the human race, and we are dead in our trespasses when we're born the first time. Drop down to verse 4. But God. Circle that phrase, but God. That makes all the difference in the equation. Me, Bill, dead in sin. But God, watch what God does. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you're saved, not your works, by grace. It is a work of God. God is the one who saves. So when we look at the doctrine of salvation, we come to discover we were dead in sin. We couldn't do anything about it. So God did everything. 
God sent his only begotten son. We're about to celebrate his birth. Why he was born in this world was to live a perfect life, die for you and I who were not perfect as a substitute. He became flesh to take on the sins of flesh. And through that, because God so loved you, he made you a way to become alive spiritually. Here I was, dead in my sin. Now, here I am today, not because I'm a pastor, not because I joined a church, not because I was baptized, but because I surrendered my life to Christ, I was born a second time. I was born into the kingdom of God. There was a day and a time where I realized that was empty and that was death, but I could have life through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. Has God made you alive? Has there been a second birthday for you? A physical birthday? Yes. That only brought death spiritually. Has there been a spiritual birthday? Can you testify like Maya that there's been a day that you've given your heart to Jesus? Well, the Bible says in that, when you give your life to Christ, he makes you alive. He births you and becomes your heavenly father. My children, I remember the day they were born. They can lose their birth certificate, but you know what? They will always be my child. My firstborn was in the first service. I have other children who might be in this service. I don't see them yet today, but they usually will be in this service. Some live in other cities that shall not be named today, but they are believers in Christ, my children, no matter where they are today. I'm sure there were times that Houston wanted to run away from home. I can tell you there were times we were encouraging him to consider that option from time to time, just the struggles of raising a family, right? But no matter the condition of that moment, he will always be my son, they will always be my daughters. Yes, I have a daughter that defected, went to OU a year or two, and is now at OSU today. I will confess that publicly. I will confess her sin for her, right? And I still, she is still my child. Still my child. That's a joke. I mean, not a joke. The, the, the situation where she's living is the joke. She will always be my child. Always. I will always be his child. Oh, there will be days I disappoint my father. There will be days that I fall short of his glory. When the prodigal son betrayed the prodigal father, when he went a distant land, was he still the prodigal father's son? Yes. Yes. He lost fellowship with his dad. He suffered consequences from those choices. But he was still a child of his father. And you see, when a person is saved, it isn't some religious bound contract. It is a birth issue. And once a child, always a child of God. It is a birth issue. Go to John chapter 10. Let's dig in now. So we must replace twisted scriptures with, true, with all of scripture and what all of God's counsel says. So we're going to look at the full context of all of God's teaching related to the issue of salvation. John 10 verse 22. Jesus is going to address some religious people. They were confused. They thought they were answering the pop quiz right. How's a person saved? You got to be a Jew. You got to be a child of Abraham. You got to keep the law. You got to do this. You got to do that. They had a religion. And they were banking on that as their answer into heaven. Look at this. It was at the time of the Feast of Dedication there in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. And the Jews then gathered around him. These were the religious people of Jerusalem. 
They gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Clearly, these people were religious, but they didn't understand who Jesus was. It looks like they're trying to figure out who Jesus is, but they really don't have any interest. They are convinced that the answer to their trip to heaven is found in their lineage being the children of Abraham. Jesus came to give us faith that we might be a part of the family of God. Verse 25, so Jesus answered them. He said, I told you, yet you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. So, as Jesus is addressing the audience, he talks about two realities. There are those on this planet that are a part of his flock through faith. They are the children of God. And then there are those, and they may even be very religious, they may be very good people. The Jews weren't necessarily bad, they were very religious, but they weren't a part of Christ. Today, you can be in church, you can be on a Baptist role, you can be at a Methodist role, you can be in any other denomination and think you've got this thing covered, and that doesn't make a bit of difference in eternity. It's a matter of if you have been changed a second time to become a new creature, what is called one of his sheep. Look at verse 27. So he goes on to say, because my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. That promise in and of itself is the one that I've clung to ever since. It doesn't say you'll never perish unless you do this or you don't do that. The promise God makes to you is when you become one of his sheep, when you become a new person in Christ, you have eternal life and you will never perish. That's the promise of God's word. And then he goes on to say, And no one shall snatch them out of my hand, for my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Well, let's ponder on these verses for just a moment, and let's let certain things jump out. The very first thing that ought to jump out at you, if you put a magnifying glass on these passages, is look at the very first thing. He says, my sheep. He draws a distinction. He doesn't say the sheep of Israel. He says, my sheep. It speaks of a personal relationship. He isn't talking about a phenomenon, oh, if you're sheep of Israel, if you're a part of a nation or the seed of Abraham. He says, my sheep. Speaking of a personal relationship. When I was growing up, I prayed to Jesus. I needed Jesus' help. I was in trouble a lot. I did a lot of stupid stuff. And so I knew I had enough awareness that there was a Jesus and that Jesus helps and that Jesus could save, I didn't know it was my soul that needed saving, I thought it was my backside that needed the saving, and I'd cry out to Jesus. But I wasn't his sheep. It took nine months of hearing the gospel at Emanuel Baptist Church in Enid, Oklahoma, before I ever understood how I could go from being dead to God making me alive. To going from being a goat, if you will, separated from God, to becoming a new creature, one of his sheep. The second thing that ought to jump out is he says, my sheep hear my voice. You want to know if you're truly saved? It doesn't matter what you say with your lips. It doesn't matter anything that you do or don't do. What matters is, do you have a relationship with God and you know you have one if you hear his voice? Oh, I hear his voice often. Not audibly necessarily, but he speaks just as clearly to my soul 
He will show me when I'm stepping out of bounds. He will convict me when I'm falling short of his glory. He will speak truth into my heart and guide me into all truth. He will lead me in the way, the truth, and the life. I hear his voice. Well, I wrestle with that voice sometimes, just as you do with your parents. There are times that your parents have spoken truth into your life, and you ignore it or you stiff arm it, but you still hear their voice. If you've been saved, you become a new creature. You become one of his sheep. If you're saved, you hear the voice of God. If you don't hear God speaking to you on a daily basis, if you don't hear the voice of God, that's a sign that you're not one of his sheep. And today, you ought to call on the name of the Lord. You ought to call out and have that assurance that he is your God and that you are forgiven and he will make you a brand new person. He says, look at the third thing that jumps out. He says, and I know them. I know them. Now, God knows everything and God knows everyone. So why does he say, I know them? It's a unique term in the Greek. It's the same word, the same knowledge that a man and a woman have when they marry. It's an intimate one flesh relationship, an intimate relationship, knowledge. I know. I knew who Cammie was when we were going to high school, but I didn't know her. I didn't know her well. I just knew of her. But then we started dating, and then we were married, and now I know her better than anybody on the planet. It's a different relationship. And that's what it's speaking of here. He says, I know my sheep. It's, it's speaking of a family knowledge. Does God know you? Has there been a time in your life where you've not known there was a God, but you've made him your God? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. Speaks of a change of direction. Doesn't mean we follow perfectly. Doesn't mean that we as sheep won't stray or fall short of his glory from time to time. But I know this, that my shepherd will always care for me, his sheep. And he won't lose a single one. For he goes on to say, and I give them, it is a gift of God. It's nothing we've done. It's what God does. He gives us, what does he give us? Eternal life. Not conditional life. Not maybe heaven one day. But he gives us the promise of eternal life. So there is salvation. Now if you've ever experienced that, the Bible says you've gone from an old life that was dead in sin. You become a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5 says. Now I'm a part of his family, his flock. I'm a sheep of God, a child of God. So watch what God does from then on. Go to Philippians. It's one of my favorite passages, chapter 1 and verse 6. Philippians 1, 6. Get there quickly. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Paul, interesting. We've looked at his life before. His old life. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a religious man. He was so sold out for God, but didn't even know God. He was killing Christians in the name of God, thinking he was helping out God's cause, and he didn't even know who God was. He just knew a religion. He was a Jew. He was on the road to Damascus when God showed up and revealed who he was and changed Saul of Tarsus into the Apostle Paul. Now this changed man, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. He says, I am confident. I am confident in this very thing, this one thing. Here's what I'm confident of. I'm confident that God who began a good work in you, he will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
Take a look at that verse again. Notice Paul's confidence. He didn't question. He didn't have doubts. He had a confidence. And notice what he was confident in. He was not confidence, confident in himself. He wasn't confident in his religious pedigree. He wasn't confident that he was a child of Abraham. He was confident that God, who began salvation in him, that same God who saved him, is the same God who would complete him. That was his assurance. You see, when you think you can lose your salvation, what you are doubting is, one, God's ability to keep you, and number two, your ability to keep yourself. We usually think, oh, I did this, I did that, therefore I must not be saved. And now you've made salvation a work of you, not a work of God. People will argue, well, Bill, if you hold to that view, if you hold to that doctrine, then people will live however they want to live. They'll just live as if they don't have a God and they're fine because they're covered. Apostle Paul had to address that. He said, just because we're free in Christ, just because we are now one of God's children, we don't use that freedom as a covering for evil. We don't say, well, I can do whatever I want to do. No, no, no. When you know that your debt has been paid and you know what Christ has done on your behalf, there is a loyalty and allegiance to our holy heavenly Father. Let's take a look at it. We're going to dig through some more things. Paul was confident that God who saved him is the God who would complete that salvation. That he would keep him until when? Look at the last part of verse 6. That he would perfect that salvation until the day of Jesus. All the way to the very end. Paul didn't doubt and Paul didn't struggle. He had a great confidence in who God was and what God does. So he preaches about it again. On and on and on. Turn to Colossians very quickly. Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 13, Colossians 2, 13, he says, when you were dead in your transgressions, there it is again, your first life, dead in sin, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us, look at the next phrase, what has he forgiven us of? What has he forgiven us of? All, all of our transgressions, yesterday, today, today. In the days ahead. Yes, we must confess our sin. Yes, we must be honest about our sin. But he died for all of our sins and he has forgiven us all of our sins, having canceled out, this is key, look at verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us, that which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, he has nailed it to the cross. Paul's preaching here. He uses something. Now we have to look at cultural context. To know what's being said here, you have to know the day and age in which Paul is writing. And you know it because you've read about the crucifixion of Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, something very interesting happened in that moment. As he was dying for the sins of the world, not because of trumped up charges, not because of bad politics in Jerusalem. Yeah, all that was real. Jesus died for your sin and for mine cancel out our debt decree now, that may not mean a lot to you because in our culture we can ring up tens of thousand dollars of debt and we can claim bankruptcy and just walk away from it oh yeah we'll have a mark on our record but we move on now in that day and they rang up debt just like we do you had a debt you couldn't pay if I owed you a million dollars and I couldn't pay I couldn't pay it you could have me thrown into debtor's prison. 
You could have a decree against me that I owed you a million dollars and I would be stuck in that debtor's prison until somebody paid off that debt or I would rot in prison. That decree would be there. Then there were times where there was debt against the community. When Jesus was hung on a cross, there were two thieves, one on each side, two criminals. Jesus, the only one innocent, hanging on a cross through those trumped-up charges. And you remember that they nailed a sign above his head. That was that debt decree. It was the justification for his crucifixion. They wrote above his head. You remember what they wrote? Here is the king of the Jews. They considered that blasphemy. There was to be no other king than Caesar. And he was crucified. The charges hung on the cross. They nailed it to the cross. And what Paul says is just like they would do in our day, as he's preaching to his crowd, just like they do with everyone hung on a cross, they put up their debt decree. That decree was your sin. And God put it on that cross. He put your sin there. And God sent a substitute, Jesus. And he paid the price in full. Nailed to the cross and ripped away forever. Your sins have been forgiven, canceled out. And once a debt had been paid, you no longer owed the debt. That's what Jesus did for you and me. He canceled out my debt decree, and for that I will be forever eternally grateful. Let me give you some other salvation verses of what God has done and what he continues to do. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Write these down. I'll put some of them on the screen so we can move quickly. I want you to see them. You don't have to turn. Just watch and take notes. 2 Timothy 1.12. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced. There he is again. He had a rock-solid assurance. He was convinced, what? That he, God, is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. Again, Paul draws from the analogy of the sheep. If we are his sheep and he is our shepherd, if he's the one that saves us from the enemy and from death and from eternal separation, what Paul is saying is, I'm confident that my shepherd has got me. Nothing can touch me. The enemy can't steal me from the shepherd. That he is the one who guards what I've given him, my faith, my heart, my life. He was convinced. Now that word convinced in the Greek means to be persuaded by God. I understand that there may be some today you're not quite as convinced yet. I know there are many today that struggle being convinced that they can't lose their salvation. Only the Holy Spirit can persuade you. Only God's word and promises can get you to think truthfully. Because apart from God's word, we would not believe. There's, I still to this day don't understand how God could love somebody like me. I still to this day don't know why Jesus paid the price for my sin. I still can't believe that he wiped it all away. But I know it to be true because he has declared it and he has done it. My conviction and my confidence is not in me. In anything that I have done, it is all in God. He is able. He is able. And if you think you can lose your salvation then your testimony is different than Paul's. If you think that you can once be saved and lose it, you need to be willing to say, 
Jesus, you can't guard what I've given you. You can't keep me. You can't protect me. That's what you're saying. Whether you think you're saying it or not, that's what we say in the end. Paul said, I'm confident in he who began the good work, he'll complete it. I'm confident that I've given him my life and he will guard it from the enemy. Let me give you some other promises. Hebrews 6. Quickly write these down. Hebrews 6, 17 through 19. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise. Notice what he says here. Not just to the promise, but to the heirs of the promise. H-E-I-R-S. What is an heir? An heir is a one that has a right to the family estate. Only my children are heirs to my estate. I love all of you, but you ain't my heirs. And really, there's nothing to give you anyway in this state. But it's theirs by birth. Family are heirs. And here the writer of Hebrews says, know this. You're not just saved. You don't just have a ticket to heaven. You have an inheritance. You are heirs of the promise. The promise that God has made. It isn't the promise you made to God. Oh, God. Uh, If you'll just forgive me, I'll live for you the rest of the days of my life. We think that we earn our way that way through a prayer. No. God made the promise to you. God promised whoever will believe in their heart, they shall be saved. God promised that whoever will call my name, they shall be saved. That's the promise God made. God made the promise that he would love you so much he would send his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But notice this promise. Notice this inheritance which is yours. That promise, it says, is unchangeable. It cannot be overturned. It can't be appealed in another court. Somebody can't come in and hire a fancy lawyer and take over what is yours. It cannot be probated. It has been eternally sealed. Eternally promised. Unchangeable. That is my promise through Christ. For he goes on to say in verse 18, it's impossible for God to lie. And this hope, look at verse 19, this hope we have is an anchor for our soul. I used to go boating quite a bit. I didn't grow up in the church, I grew up the lake. And because of the winds of Oklahoma, if you didn't anchor your boat, you could go into the beach, you could go uh, any of the lakes here in Oklahoma. And if you didn't anchor your boat, you would lose your boat. It was gone. The wind would blow it out. There are some people today that gave their heart to Christ, but they're not anchored in the promises of God. They don't have that anchor in their soul that says, I know that the one who saved me is the one who completed. They don't have the anchor drop that says, this is an unchangeable promise. They don't have that anchor knowing that God will complete the work he began in them, and they begin to drift. The writer of Hebrews says, you need to have an anchor for your soul. Know that you are an heir of the promise. Know that it is unchangeable. Write down some other verses. We don't have time to turn to all of them, but you can write these down. Hebrews 7, 25 through 27. Study these at home. It talks about he is able to save us forever, that he died once and for all for our sins. Hebrews 10, 14 says that he was an offering, a one-time offering for all of time, for all of history, for all of my life. In 1 Peter 1, verse 23 It says that we have not been born of perishable seed, but imperishable. Our parents who birthed us, we are the seed of our parents. They die. 
we die. But Peter came to understand when we're born a second time, we have a heavenly father who has always been and always will be. He is eternal. And that's what we are now. We are eternal beings. He has given us eternal life and we will never perish. Not because of what we do or don't do, but because of what he has done. Now, I want everybody to turn this and we will close. Go to Romans. You got enough for the day? You got enough? Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Look at it. Romans 5 and verse 9. Satan can try to twist a scripture here or a scripture over there. But when you look at all of scripture, you have to come to one conclusion. God is the one who saves and God is the one who keeps us saved. My confidence is not in me and my ability to be spiritual. My confidence is in my heavenly father and I get to be an heir of the promise. And because of that, I have a great eternal inheritance found in Christ. And because of that, now I live a holy calling. I'm not perfect. I fall short of God's glory and so do you. I don't play with sin because I can. I desire to please my heavenly father because I wear his name now. I'm a child of the king. In Romans chapter 5, verse 9, Paul said it this way, much more then, now that we've been justified by our baptism, by our church attendance, by what we do or what you don't do. Is that what he said? We are justified by what? His blood. When they were in Egypt, the picture we have of salvation, what they should have understood as they looked into their history when the death angel came over Egypt as one of the last plagues to break Pharaoh's back, the people were commanded to put the blood of a lamb over the doorpost of their homes. And the promise was this. Wherever there is the blood, they will live. Wherever they, there is no blood covering, they'll die. The firstborn. It was a picture of this reality that Paul writes of. He says... We are justified before a holy God, not because of a new religion called Christianity, not because we repented of being a Jew and now I'm a Christian. No, because of the blood of Jesus. Because I'm under the blood, I'm now a child of God. Having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God, eternal death, through Christ. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, we now have been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I was dead in my sin, so Jesus came and paid the price for my sin. He died for me. That's how I was reconciled to God. That's how I became a child of God. That's how I got a new life. That's how I became a new person in Christ. And he says, now that I have this new life, Paul says, now that we have this, we were saved through his death and his resurrection, and now we remain saved by his life. Not by mine, but by his. Not because I'm super sheep, but because I have a super shepherd. Because he will guard this soul. He will keep me because he's my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not fear. Do you have the same confidence that Paul had? Or do you doubt? Because 
twisted scripture. Let's pray about it with every head bowed and every eye closed. That's a whole lot to drink in. And there's a whole lot more. I could give you three more sermons just on this one truth. Some people came in today believing that the color red agitates bulls. That we only have five senses. That Disney created Mickey Mouse and that the sun is yellow. And yet the truth is None of those things are true. There are some people who came in today thinking, I don't know if I'm saved. There are some people who came in today saying, no, nobody can know they're saved. I remember thinking that when I was sitting in an audience just like you are. I remember the pastor asking, if you died today, would you go to heaven? How many of you know? Raise your hand. I thought, nobody can know that. Nobody can have that kind of assurance. I didn't know. But I can tell you today, I know the answer now. What I didn't know then, dead in my sin, today I know the answer in Christ. Yes, I know I have eternal life, not because I'm a preacher, not because I'm a Baptist. I'm a child of the King. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. Are you? Are you? Has there been a time in your life where you became a new creature? No longer a goat, if you will, separated from God, but now one of his sheep. He said, my sheep hear my voice. Has there been a time when you heard the voice of God showing you your sin and his love? Has there been a time when God's voice spoke to you and said, you need me to be your shepherd, your savior? Has there been a time? If so, did you respond to that voice? He said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. His voice declared in his word, that we are to repent of our sin. We are to believe in our heart. Does that happen for you? If it has, would you just raise your hand as a testimony of that? I've been saved. God has saved me. Amen. Awesome. Put them down. I couldn't raise my hand for nine months going to church with Cammie. I wanted to. I wanted to be sure, but I, I, I didn't have a peace because I didn't know Christ. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. I wonder today, is there someone here or somebody online? You need to know him as your heavenly father. You need his heavenly forgiveness. That's God speaking to you. Is that you today? Call on his name. Say, how do I do that? I didn't know. The preacher led us in a prayer. It isn't the prayer that saves us. God saves us as we give him our life. And so he showed me how. He said, pray this. If that's you, pray this with me. Say, dear Lord, just pray that to God from your heart to his. Dear Lord, I confess I'm a sinner. And Lord, I know my sin separates me from you. Lord, today, I want to be born a second time. I need a heavenly father. Come into my heart and save me. The Bible says, you just called on his name. God has just made you alive. God has just made you a new person. And he wants you to publicly make that aware to all people. He says, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. I'm going to encourage you. There'll be staff here at the front. Come to one of them and say, man, today I nailed it down. Today I accepted Christ. If that's you, you ought to come. I know there are many of you, you raised your hand earlier. That's already happened for you. But you may not have the confidence of Paul. Maybe you've doubted your salvation. Today, 
let these promises be an anchor to your soul and say, Lord, today, remove the doubt. God, today, today, anchor my faith. He'll do it.